So in Easter, we uh, I spoke on hope. That the only place you're going to find hope, this side of heaven that you can count on 100%, undoubted, risk-free, is the hope of heaven itself. It is immovable, unshakable, never-ending. The Bible says that your word is settled forever in heaven, O Lord. It's on the earth where there's a battle. It's on earth where it gets complicated. It's on earth where we prophesy in part, we know in part, and we're just slugging it out. And So we're getting from here to there. So after we spoke on hope, and after we've gone through a whole series on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and many of you have got your, your prayer language, many of you have been uh, having a fresh influence of the Holy Spirit, what do you do with it now? And so we're talking about how can I live a meaningful life? Last week, we started the series with the fact that you got to start right. We were using the illustration of a track star. I was at my son's track meet with uh, one of our pastor, youth pastors, Chris uh, Larkin. And we're sitting there and he said, talking to me about the starting blocks. He said, you ever been on a starting block before? And I said, no. And he was talking about how important it is to start right. Because your start many times determines your finish. The way you start right is by starting with God. Because God, and I catch this, God made you on purpose and with a purpose. We said that out loud, say, God made me on purpose and with a purpose. Say it again. God made me on purpose and with a purpose. I'm going to say it one more time, and this time I want you to say it from down here, and I want you to listen to yourself, and I want you to believe it, because this will break up a lot of insecurities, a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of question marks. You need to turn that question mark into an exclamation point if you're going to start right. Now say this out loud. God made me on purpose and with a purpose. All right, now once you figure that out, then you've got to determine what it is now God wants me to do between here and the time I enter heaven. And so Jesus was very clear about this. It says in John chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had knowing, not wondering, knowing that the Father had put all things into His hands. Jesus knew what was in His hands. And that He had come from God and was going to God. You see, if you don't start knowing that God made you on purpose and with a purpose, you'll spend your whole life trying to answer the four questions. Where did I come from? Where am I going when I die? Who am I and why am I here? Those are the four questions that plague the human race. But they should never plague a Christian. As you and I start with God and we follow Christ, we know where we came from. We've been made in the Father's image. Praise God. No more self-esteem issues there. I know where I'm going when I die. We're going to go be with the Father. Now, who are we? Well, once you come to Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. Made in His image. Reborn in Christ. And what am I here to do? Well, what's in your hands? And that's what this whole series is about. What is in your hands and what do you do with it? Now, last week, Mark installed the first teaching of this series with what do you have in your hands? It's the great equalizer. doesn't matter the color of your skin, your age, your sex, where you were born, where you were raised. None of that matters. There, here's the great equalizer. We all have 24 hours in the day, seven days a week. We all have time. And he taught a brilliant message last week. What are you doing with your time? Whatever you do with your time will determine whether you live a meaningful life or not. Today, I'm going to talk about another thing that you have that you can invest 
to make sure that you live a meaningful life between here and there. And that is your shape. Now, I'm not talking about your physical shape, although some of us should probably ask the Lord, what do you want to do about this? <laughs> I'm talking about your S-H-A-P-E. I borrowed this from Rick Warren. You're going to write this down because we don't have the PowerPoint this morning. S is your spiritual gifts. God has given every one of you spiritual gifts for the benefit of building the kingdom of God. Secondly is your H, and that is your heart, your passions. What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? Your SHA are your abilities. God has given you natural abilities. Some of you are administrators. You're weirdos, okay? But I love you because you guys organize things, cross T's, dot I's. You make sure the wheels stay on the bus. Man, I, I think, but the thing is you guys enjoy that. That's what makes you weird. Then there are visionaries. There are people who there are people who love to organize. There are people who love to blow things up. There are pe people who love to put things together. People who love to read. People who love to teach. People who love to serve. You've been given natural abilities that God hardwired you that way. And Satan wants to shame you. He wants to he wants to get you to be insecure about, confused about who you are and the way God's made you. Your spiritual gift S. Your heart, your passions H. Your abilities your A. Your P is your personality. Now look, we're all being refined. Parts of your personality are annoying to everybody around you, but but God has given you a unique personality. I don't know if you know that or not. I remember one time when I was a young preacher, I uh, decided there was too much John in my preaching, you know, because I'm kind of out there. And uh, and then I started thinking, you know, it's all about you. It's all about because you know, you, just you. And so I decided that um, there wasn't enough Jesus in my preaching. It was too much John. So then I came up to the pulpit that next time I was preaching, and I talked like this. And God so loved the world that He gave the only, His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, have everlasting life. And I made sure there was no me in there, just Jesus. After the sermon, my worship pastor came up to me and she said, "What's the matter with you?" I said, "Well, I decided there was." Not, there was too much John in my sermon and not enough Jesus. And she said, well, it's not working. <laughs> so I went on a two-week retreat seeking God. Oh, God. Oh, God. What if, I don't understand. I don't understand. And uh, he's, he, he quoted a verse to me. And it was my, my life verse for ministry, right? That, and in 2 Corinthians 3, it says that our sufficiency is not of ourself. Our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And I was telling the Lord, yeah, I know that scripture. I don't need to look it up. And I just felt impressed. Look it up, look it up, look it up. You got to look up the same scriptures that you've memorized, meditated on, you've preached. It doesn't matter. You look it up because God's going to talk to you fresh out of the word of God. The word of God is a, is a spiritual, supernatural book. And God could give you a, a different message out of one verse for the rest of your life because he's God. And so I looked it up and then I read that verse that says, and uh, and we're not sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And he stopped me and said, your personality is part of the sufficiency that I've given to you to be a minister of the new covenant. I said, well, watch out, Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. When you try to be someone else, nothing works. You come off weird and strange and awkward. You can't flow. God made you you. He gave you your personality. That's why I don't try to make somebody into you and don't try to make you into somebody else. 
you got to just relax and be you. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to sanctify your nasty parts, but the core of your personality was given to you by God, and He flows through you. The more natural you are, the more God you're going to experience. Come on, somebody. Because you're an expression of God. And then the E is your experiences. This is your S-H-A-P-E, your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your passions, your abilities, your personality, and your E is your experience. Your experiences are what... Uh, give you empathy, they give you wisdom, they give you the ability to, to um, understand what other people are going through, help them, or you allow them to make you bitter and you sit on the bench and everybody else gets to play in the game while you sit on the bench and you criticize and curse and all that because you've allowed your experiences to make you into a miserable human being rather than walking through the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus and allowing that pain to make you more like Christ. And now you're more beautiful. Amen? All right. So what does God want you to do with your shape? He wants you to give it away. God wants you to use your shape to serve others. If you want your life to be a meaningful life, your life has to touch somebody else's life in a positive way. You have got to be about something bigger than yourself. If you're going to live life and it's all about, about me, 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 nobody's going to want to be around you. And you're going to be miserable. It's insatiable. Me, 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 me. You and I were not designed by God to be a lake without an outlet or an inlet. That's the, that's the, that's the, um, the salt sea, right? The Dead Sea, which is filled with salt. And everything that it go, has an inlet with no outlet and everything in it dies. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me. And rivers, not lakes, rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. That's not for you. It's for others. You see, God's given you a gift for me, not for you. And he's given me gifts for you, not for me. Gifts are meant to be given away. You don't hoard all the gifts around the Christmas tree. Mine, 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 mine. No. The joy, how much joy do you get when you buy something for somebody and you can't wait to give it to them, right? And they're unwrapping it. You see the smile on their face? Even if they don't like it, they fake that they like it, right? <laughs> and you feel great. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you want your life to be meaningful, you have to give your life away. This is what Jesus said. Now, I only read half of that first scripture about Jesus knowing where he came from, where he was going, what was in his hands. Look at what he did with it. John 3, 13, 3 and 4 now. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. What was going on there? Jesus is the Son of God, right? He's the Messiah. All the disciples around him, and they are riding his train, man. They are on his coattails. He is going to overthrow Caesar. He's going to overthrow the occupation of the Roman government. He is the next political leader that's going to set Israel free. They're not going to be under uh, Roman oppression anymore. And, I mean, he's already doing miracles. Nobody can compete with our guy. And so here's our guy. We're at a table. We're in his cabinet. We're in the round table, man, right? Here we are. Man, we've left our families. We've left our businesses. We've left everything. But we got Jesus. Jesus takes off his robe, which was his authority, his position, his prestige, 
and it's put on a towel, which in that culture is the uh, uniform of the lowest slave in the house, the lowest servant in the house. What that servant does is because in the, uh, that day and age, they would wear sandals and they'd, they'd walk on dusty roads. You showed up at somebody's house, your feet are all dirty. So the, the, the lowest household servant, the lowest ranked servant would meet you at the door. They'd have a, a bucket of water and they would wash all the dirt off your feet so you could come in. So Jesus, <laughs> God, The one with the most followers. The one who has the greatest influence. All the power. All the glory. Kneels down, begins to wash his disciples' feet. Peter's like, whoa! No, no, no! This is all wrong! One, it's inappropriate. Because you're the most important person in the room. I should be washing your feet. Secondly, oh, no, 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 no. No, I don't know what's going on here right now, but this is jacking up my program. Because you're the most important person in Jerusalem and the whole Decapolis right now. Everybody's following you. And we're going up with you. We're not going down. I don't know what you're doing right now, but we're going the wrong direction. we got to go up. Come on, we just had a great crusade last night. Let's get out. Let's get out all the all the uh, promotional materials, man. Let's big. Poof, let's get this thing loud and big, and let everybody know what are you doing. This is okay. Jesus says this. It's not this way among you. This is Matthew chapter twenty. It's not going to be this way among you. The way it is in the world, top down. The most important person's up here. The least important person down here. And these people serve up. He said no. It's inverted in the kingdom of God. Somebody say, amen or oh me or ouch or something right now. It's inverted. We're trying to climb the ladder. Jesus came down the ladder. I smell, what is that smell? Oh, that's burnt flesh, right? I smell flesh burning in here. What is that? Oh. in the stars is the plan of salvation. The cross is there, the lamb is there, the crucifixion, the resurrection is all in the stars. What's the enemy do? He creates something called astrology, which is now human beings. Look at the stars. They're talking about you. Are you a Capricorn or a Sagittarius? What are you, right? We make the stars about us. When actually the stars, the Bible says, declares the glory of God. The stars are shouting about God, not about us. Okay, just say, oh me. Or amen. amen. Oh, I got eight more amens than oh me's. All right, so the key is to be other-centered if you want to live a meaningful life, not self-centered. So here's some, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some scenarios and you just shout out self-centered or other-centered. Let, let's just see if we can define this for ourselves, all right? Uh... Taking up all the airtime in a discussion. Self. That's self-centered. You ever, you ever been in a situation like that? Like when you get into small groups? Like for those of you visiting today, when I'm done here in a few minutes, we're going to turn into small groups if you want to. It's not for everybody. And we're going to discuss some of these things, pray for one another. And you get into a small group, and if the facilitator isn't a good facilitator, there's going to be a talky-talk, a chatty-cathy. 
they're going to just talk and 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 everybody else is looking at the watches and like this. And next week they're going to go to a different group, right? That's that's selfish. Okay. How about asking others how they are doing? Selfish or or self-centered or other-centered? Yeah. Ask somebody else how they're doing. Praying for only for your own needs. Selfish. Yeah. Give me give me my name, Jimmy. Right. That's how your whole prayer time goes. Praying for the needs of others is it's not a hard quiz. Spending all your money on your four and no more. Giving to the needs of others is approaching relationships with what can I get out of this? Approaching relationships with what can I give to this? Approaching church with what can I get out of this? Normal. See, I beg you to. I led you all the way down that road to this part right here. Going to church saying, what can I get out of this is? Selfish. Going to church and saying, what can I give to this is? Others. Are you guys with me? Yes. Other-centered. Using your authority position to serve yourself, to benefit yourself is? Selfish. Using your authority to benefit others is? Others. Dating non-Christians and not telling them about Jesus is? Stupid. You know, before I uh -oh, before I uh, was married, um, I was here in San Diego. I didn't get married until I was 32. So, you know, it's like, what do you do? You got to date someone. I was in church all the time, preaching all the time, pastoring all the time. Every once in a while, I'd end up on a date with somebody who wasn't a Christian. And I'm thinking to myself during the day, it could be in a movie or be at the dinner. I'd have this thought in my mind. Um, I don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. I don't know what their eternal destiny is going to be. But I don't want to ruin this day by bringing up Jesus. I would have that thought in my mind. And I was sitting there through the whole day thinking about um, how how selfish that is. And yet I know if I bring up Jesus, the date's over. I could never get through a date because it's just, it would just convict me so bad. I mean, how do you go out on a date with a person that hasn't yet given their life to Christ and you have all, the, you have the fun and you say, bye, and you leave and you're like, you you have no idea where she's going at the end, at the end of her life. So I bring it up every time. And either that would be the last time, that would be the end of the day, and the last time she would ever want to go out with me, or she would get saved. And so I just stopped doing that altogether and looked for a Christian wife. <laughs> and look what I got. Jesus is our example, family. This is the classic text of Jesus being the most important person and all of existence and becoming the servant of all. And we are to follow his example. It says, therefore, in the book of Philippians chapter two, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, you know, one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfishness, but rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, here is his mindset. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even the death of the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Man, that's the key right there. If you and I will humble ourselves on this side of heaven and live our lives serving others, when you get to heaven, you're exalted. You're bringing glory to God by reflecting Jesus on the earth. This is all going to be gone. It's a vapor. And you enter heaven. And Jesus gives you awards for the way you served him while you're on the earth. Don't get caught up in the materialistic, hedonistic, humanistic rat race. You're wasting your life. Every day you and I spend living selfishly is a day we've missed an opportunity to invest in eternity. It says that Jesus, uh, God exalted him, gave the highest place, gave him the name above every name, every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, earth, under the earth, every tongue acknowledges Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the end of that. It's all for God's glory. Now, Josiah and I were talking this week, my son, and uh, I said, do you have, you ever had a friend who they're all about themselves? He goes, yeah. I said, you, you want to hang out with them? No. Anybody ever know somebody that's all about themselves? Well, they always make it about themselves. They got one person here. Come on, don't lie in church. You know, somebody that's always, it's all about themselves. You have a friend. I said, you have a friend that's, that's always about you. Anybody got one of those? They're always asking you how you're doing. They're always blessing you. They're always giving to you. It's like, who do you want to be around? He's like, I want to be around my friend. Is right. You don't want to be around a person that's like that. In fact, he came up with the title for the service today, uh, the sermon today, which is, he said, call it give or take. Good, huh? Do you want to be alive? Do you want to live a life as a giver or live life as a taker? But it all begins with you believing that you have something of value to offer everybody else. May you be, maybe even beat down, lied to, criticized, shamed. To the point where you don't think you're much and you don't really have anything to offer others. I just want to tell you that's a big fat lie. God made you in his image and he gave you a shape. It is unique. It's unlike anybody else's shape that's ever lived, is living, or ever will live. You have a unique gift to give to the rest of the world. Nobody can do it like you. Well, they already have people singing on the worship team, but nobody sings like you. Yeah, but I don't think I'd sing that well. Everybody else says you do. Yeah, but what's that about? You see, you've got to believe that God made you on purpose. God made you. And he's a pretty darn good creator, artist, manufacturer. And he made you. Look at what this scripture says. Oh, Psalm 139, come on, you got to love it. The psalmist had this revelation about himself. Not for himself, but a revelation about how God made him and it turned his glory. And he glorified God. He's like, oh my gosh, look at me. Look at you. Look what you did. Look at me. Look at you. Oh my gosh, look what you got. It's amazing. But there wasn't humanism. It was worship. We look at ourselves and we hate ourselves. What's that about? Look in the mirror, listen to your voice on a recorder. Ew. Criticize ourselves, self-hatred. That's just, that's not godly. 
The Bible says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor. Period. No. What? Did I misquote that? I'm sorry. What's the verse say? As yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor. As yourself. As yourself. Listen to the psalmist. You made all you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is revelation he's getting. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Bam. That's the drop of my phrase right there. How well I know it. He says. You made me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Do you know? Do you really know and believe that you are marvelous? How well I know it. It's not cocky. It's confident humility. God made me. I have worth. I have intrinsic value. I am marvelous. Look at me. <laughs> this is the healthy kind of self-love. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Jeremiah says, before I was shaped in the womb. Before I was shaped. See that? Before I was shaped in the womb. You, I knew. Before I was shaped in the womb, I knew all about you. God is saying to Jeremiah, before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Can you say that? Can you say that about yourself? This is where you've got to start if you're going to be a blessing to others. You can't walk around and say, oh, I'm worthless. Oh, I don't have anything to offer. Oh, you can't do that. You got to look up and say, before God, before, what is that? Before God shaped me in the womb. Say that. Before God shaped me in the womb. He knew all about me. Before I saw the light of day. Before I saw the light of day. He had holy plans for me. <laughs> you raise that hand back there, Mary. Come on, I got one. I got I'm in the book, Mary says. She's back there doing this. Yes. I like preaching to the hand wavers. Yeah. You got to know your shape. You got to know what it's for. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experience. All those shaped you so that you can be a blessing like no one else can be. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears. I want to come in for a close with this. I want to talk specifically now to the believers, to those who have chosen to follow Christ. You haven't been shaped by God just for being a blessing to the world. 
you've been shaped by God specifically to be a blessing to the church. This is where your purpose in life, living a meaningful life, goes to 2.0. Look at this scripture. Listen to this. This is great. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, why does he separate these two? Why does he elevate the church? Because of this. The church is the entity, the entity, not a entity, the entity Jesus uses to draw the harvest of souls into the church. Satan is after souls. He's after lives. He wants to destroy lives, maim lives, harm lives, create divorce and havoc, and then take people to hell with them. The only entity on the planet that can stop him is the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the church has got to be strong, vibrant, lethal, deadly to the enemy. And so there's four things you can do. Well, what can I do about that? Four things very quickly. One, love the church. Love the church the way Jesus does. Jesus sacrificed himself for the church, and he's coming back to the church. I was thinking, I was, uh, there's a car parked downstairs. It's somebody's personal car. It's a beautiful car. It is parked all the way off into a little lot, all by itself, against a wall, and no other cars around. Have you ever done that where you paid for something, and it was expensive, and it's, it's, it's your, your prized possession? Anybody ever? Spend a lot of money on something that's really important to you. I know Pastor Mark did this once. He bought his Miata, I think it was, and he would park it and go to Walmart. He'd park it all the way over there. I'm like, why are you parked all the way over there? He said, I don't want anybody to scratch my car, right? <laughs> and then you get a scratch on it. Like I bought a car for Hope. I paid sixteen thousand dollars cash for a Prius, but the kids started using it. Right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I saw this scrape on the mirror. I'm like. Where did that come from? Right? One of my kids said, not you. One of my kids said, not you, not you. Not three of my kids who were here. And who are we talking about? And so, oh, I backed out of the garage and I scraped it on the side of the garage. I'm like, oh my God. Then I see a dent in the back bumper. I was like, where did that come from? Hope said, oh, well, back to the little pole. Okay, listen to this verse. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It is so easy to mistreat the church. Because it's made of imperfect people. It's so easy to criticize the church. Reject the church. Reject organized religion as though God's not organized. And he wouldn't organize the most important thing on the planet, which is the church. Do not care much about the church. Jesus cares about the church more than anything else in all of existence. It's his bride. You don't talk bad about somebody's fiance. You and I need to love the church the way Jesus does. Secondly, is to gather with the church. COVID knocked a lot of people out of fellowship. You need to get back on the stick. You need to get back in the church. Because the Bible says this. 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You've got to love the church. You also have to gather with the church. That's like somebody said, well, I'm having church by myself. Yeah, that's like being on a football team and saying, I'm playing football by myself over here. I don't have to go be with the team. We are God's team. Every local church in our county is part of God's team. And you belong to that team. And that team needs you and you need that team. Bam. Number three, help build the church. Use your gifts to make the church strong. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Jesus has given you a spiritual gift for the purpose of building the church. You can't even use that gift unless you are part of a church. It says it right here. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. The Bible says God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helps? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God. Remember, this is only for those who want to live a meaningful life. And the most meaningful life you can live on this side of heaven is using your shape to serve the church. Otherwise, you get to heaven, you meet Jesus, you make it in because you gave your life to him. But you realize, I was supposed to spend my life building the church because that's what Jesus was doing. I didn't use my gifts to do what they were supposed to be used for. I'm trying to help you not have that day. It's so easy to just take the church for granted, not value it. Hope and I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for a close here. Hope and I, one time we were at Delmar, she reminded me of this this week. I was telling her what I was preaching on. She said, do you remember that couple? And we're not saying this to condemn. We're not saying this to act superior. It just happened. And it represents some people. And I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm saying this because I'm trying to help you live a meaningful life. We met this couple at Del Mar. They said, we just moved to San Diego. We're looking for a church. And I had a word of knowledge for them. A word of knowledge is a spontaneous uh, chunk of information about somebody else that only God knows. There's no way you could know. And I said, uh, I felt like the Lord just told me something. Because I gave a word of knowledge. And it blew them away. It was so accurate. So they came to our church the next day. They shit, the, the wife wept through the whole sermon. It was custom tailored for her and for them. They were blown away. So, like my wife said, the Holy Spirit had them by the collar of the shirt and said, hey, this is where you need to go. And so I called him up after church. I said, hey, so I saw you guys in church. It really looked like the Lord rocked you guys. Oh my gosh, man, I can't believe how that was the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. And he said, but I have to be honest. You got to give him credit for being honest because most people aren't honest about this. They said this, we're looking for a church who has a, that has a coffee bar and then we can come late and leave early. And you got more? 
Oh, and that no one will ask us to do anything. So, that brings us to this. Wait, what church is this? <laughs> the church, over the last year and a half, I've been talking with different pastors, meeting with different pastors around the county, as you know I do. And the church last year was torn apart, tattered. Pastors who quit, pastors are in counseling offices all over this county. Church members who wanted to talk to each other left their churches, cursing their pastors on the way out the door about wearing masks, not wearing masks, and political stuff and racial stuff has just ripped the church apart. It is tattered. And Jesus, I guarantee you, is weeping over it. It's his bride. Satan, I guarantee you, is celebrating over it. But guess what? The story ain't over yet. We're going to come back stronger than ever. And right now is the repairing of the church. It's the rebuilding of the temple. That's what's happening right now. And it's actually refined the church to where true followers are in and following Jesus and still want to be part of it. Sleeves rolled up. Let's go. And so every church is being retooled. I was talking to Miles McPherson yesterday. You know, we're Zooming. And he said... He's called his a, re, a, a relaunch. He's, he's like, he said, it's like we're starting all over. I'm talking to many pastors around the city, mega church pastors, they say, it's like we're starting all over. Recruiting new volunteers, relaying track. So many of our tracks were blown up last year. Relational tracks, our financial track, occupational track, spiritual tracks, and your ministry tracks were blown up. We're laying new track, okay? So, we're going to slide inside here in just about a month. We're going to go indoors. and uh, But right now, we need just a few volunteers. Because right now, we have a handful of volunteers that are starting to burn out. Because they're doing the job of five or ten people. David Lowe's back there, one of them. Thank you, David, so Thank much you, David. for what you do. And I can go down the list and name others. And if I didn't name you and you get offended and you leave... It's kind of like the guy who was stranded on an island for a long time, and then he got rescued, and then they're going up in the helicopter. You look back on the island, and there were two huts. And he says, oh, what's that hut? He goes, oh, that's the church I've been going to. What's that other hut? Oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> we got to love the church. we got to build the church. All right, so David needs four people that will volunteer to show up on Sunday mornings, one time or two times a month to help set things up, the chairs and the TVs and that kind of thing. So um, if you're willing to show up one time a month or twice a month, remember you're doing this for Jesus. This is it's about me living a meaningful life. Then you want to talk to David. He's going to be right back there as soon as church is over. He's right back in the corner. Just go to David's. I'll volunteer once a month. Get here at 8.15. He helps set up. Prayer at 9.15. Get a prayer with us. And then we launch the church. Uh, once a month or twice a month. Go back and see David. Carolyn, uh, our, our children's pastor, she's been in church this year two times. Every other service, she's back there taking care of our children. And so she needs one teacher uh, for the first to fifth grade and two volunteers, which are just helpers that are there to help with whatever. If she could have one teacher for the first to fifth grades and two volunteers, she could be in church two to three times a, uh, a month Woo! and be able to be here with them. It's not that much of an ask. Mm -hmm. Four set up people, 
and one teacher and two volunteers. So let me ask you right here before Jesus and everybody, if you will volunteer to be on part of the Senate crew one time a month or twice a month, you just raise your hand. We got one here, we got two here, we got three here, we got four here, we got five here. Okay, David, mark them. Okay. All right. You saw that? All right. What about a teacher to the first to fifth grade? Okay. I can do it in a month. My wife is raising her hand. Okay. <laughs> We're all in trouble now. My wife just got out of a wheelchair, 17 months of chemo, is raising her hand to volunteer first through fifth, but that's who she is. Um, I married a super hot Mother Teresa. All right, so anybody else in first through fifth grade? First through fifth teacher? And uh, what about two volunteers? A uh, volunteer in the Children's Church. Uh, right, we got one, Carol. We got over here. We got over here, Mark. All right, great. Okay, will you guys see Carolyn after church? All right, I'll be a rock star if you guys actually do this and you go to these guys and they get their teams built. All right, the last thing you want to do is pray for the church. All right, let's all stand. I know I spent the last uh, 14 minutes talking about how your gifts can benefit the church, but it's very important that I covered that. Love the church. If somebody's criticized the church, just smack them in the mouth. So you're talking about Jesus' fiance. He's going to marry her. He shed his blood for her. And if it's been you, you need to repent. Look, you're not the most beautiful person in the world. You're not the perfect person. You're in church. You help make it imperfect. We're all imperfect. Churches are imperfect. That's why we got to learn how to forgive and have grace for one another. Stay committed. Be faithful. You got to love the church. You got to build the church. Use your shape to help the church be strong. Uh, put your hand over your heart. I'm going to lead you into prayer. Just say, God, say it out loud. God, God. thank you for the gifts, the heart, the abilities, the personality, and the experiences that you have given to me to bless others. Help me be selfless, not selfish. Forgive me, God. For any selfishness and use me mightily to be a blessing to the church and to the world for your glory. Amen. 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 Let's give God praise. Come on. I think I'm going to forego the discussion groups today. I think I used up the time on that. And I want to say if you need prayer, let's do that. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front. Maybe there, may, maybe you, parts of this message struck your heart. If you've been overly critical, maybe about the church, it's hardening your heart and it's having a hard time receiving from God. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe a pastor, maybe me, maybe another church member. It's hardening your heart and you're not a river of living water flowing out to be a blessing to others. Some of you have been knocked out of the game. You're sitting on the couch. Say, yeah, I'll just do church from the couch. You need to get back to the game. Every day counts. So if you need prayer, maybe 
somebody has been shamed to where you you are you have been shamed man you are in a cage you just do not know how beautiful you are today is your day of freedom today is the day for the lie to be replaced with the truth if that is you as people start coming forward if you'll come up and say that right there was for me and these prayer teams are going to pray for you and pray for the lies of the enemy that have crippled you for years are going to be taken off of you maybe you need healing in your body maybe you've never given your life to christ before you need to get saved and as josh leads us in worship i'm going to ask you to come up and receive prayer from these prayer teams we've got prayer teams here Courtney, are you going to join us? Your prayer team's here. we got prayer teams over here. Let's all stand and as Joss leads us in worship. If you need prayer, maybe you need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, maybe you've never received a prayer language. I'm going to ask Dennis and April if you'll join us as prayer teams coming up. Dennis and April wanted to move down to Northern California to be closer to their orphan uh, outpost, orphanage outpost in uh, Mexico and be part of the Gathering Place Church, and they've got a global ministry, but they wanted to come down here. They just put an offer in a house in RB, so they're so excited. They might have their house. They're going to move down there and be a part of us, so um, they, have a strong, they have a strong gift of prophecy, so if you want to be prophesied over, prayed over, there's healing, salvation, encouragement, just make your way up. We're going to pray over you, and uh, let's just close out in worship. You can die you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore the hearts and the heart that is broken. Great Every heart 